Hello, everybody. Welcome to our daily podcast, We Go For It. We're sharing stories and observations for the boldly aspiring. This podcast is brought to you by Norman and Advancing Life Projects. Let us help you advance your life project. In this podcast, we embark on a transformative exploration of personal growth and development. Thanks for joining us. This is our 365-day Best Wishes for You series. Today's episode 21. And our wish of the day is, May panic never seize you for long. True to form, in this episode we'll be taking a look at identifying and continually developing your own personal qualities, tools, and assets so that you become less susceptible to bouts of temporary panic which may slow you down or stop you altogether from pursuing the life you aspire to. So let's get comfortable and let's get started. Let's talk a little bit about what we mean by panic. Well, yeah, what do we mean by that? You know, there are different kinds and we're, today we're going to be talking about that sudden uncontrollable fear or anxiety that often causes wildly unthinking behavior. You know, the thing about panic is that it can hit us at unexpected times. You know, it can be very difficult to anticipate. So, essentially, what can we do to panic-proof ourselves? Or at the very least, to mitigate its effects, or if we do suffer panic from panic, to be able to get back on track, to get back on the horse as quickly as possible. Well, in our previous, in our previous episode, we talked about identifying our assets, we talked about developing our particular competitive advantages, and there is one particular asset that is universal. It is the asset, it is the one that we have all been blessed with. And that asset is, we can think. And we can control our thinking. Now, let's talk about what we mean by thinking. For a lot of people, thinking is mental activity. We remember an old story. We remember a beautiful memory from the past. We feel angry about something somebody said to us 20 years ago. We play old stories in our heads. Once in a while, we plan something. But we call that thinking. Uh, I would say that's mental activity. I'm not really sure we would call that thinking. When we talk about thinking, what we're doing is we're taking ideas, we're looking at these ideas, we're examining ideas, we're judging them, seeing if they make sense, seeing if they fit our values, our purpose, our mission, see if they fit what it is we're trying to accomplish. And if they do, then we take these ideas, we internalize them, we go out and act on them, and we change some kind of an end result. That's really what thinking is about, and thinking is intimately linked with vibration. You see, the thoughts that we entertain, whether they come from someone else or whether we originate them, they're gonna set us up in a particular type of vibration. You see, thinking, every thought that we entertain or originate is at a certain level of vibration, it vibrates. And that vibration will manifest itself in our bodies. So we will then become the embodiment of that which we 
pay attention here, that which we habitually think about regularly. You know, something that we're doing regularly, and I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes because that idea of regularity is super important. So we're thinking about particular things on a regular basis. They set us up in a particular vibration, and that becomes our usual vibration. And we're going to attract those things that are on that vibratory, at that vibratory rate. So basically, if we're talking about thinking, we can think. And whether you understand it or not, we can control our thinking. We can decide whatever it is we choose to think about. Now, that's our primary asset, and that is probably the main thing that we can employ or use to our benefit in order to prevent or to reduce the impact of, of the sudden panic attack or those moments that might make us lose temporary control. Now, if, as we stay with the thinking idea, what can we do to assert and retain control of our thinking? Well, the first thing is practice. Practice, practice, practice. What do I mean? Well, you know, the way we think, the way you think right now, you're good at it. You're good at how you think. If you're the kind of person like I was about 20, 20 odd years ago, more than that actually, a little bit more than 20 years ago, I was really good at feeling resentful. It felt good. I was good at it. And it was something that I did regularly. And I was really good because I did it so much. I practiced that thinking and the feelings that came with it all the time. Well, regularly. So I got really good at it. And the more that we practice a way of thinking, the way, the more that we practice having certain thoughts, they become natural for us. They become good. If you, if you, you know, chose to practice basketball and you did one hour every day for a year, something like that, you, you would, you'd get better. You would improve to a certain degree. So let's practice our controlling our thinking or thinking certain ideas when we're not panicking. You see, if we wait until we're panicking to start trying to control our thinking or to start trying to think about something else, it's too late. We're not ready. You're not going to practice at, during the match or during the game. You have to practice before. So the idea is to practice certain um, approaches to control our thinking, but you do that before you panic, but you do that before it ever happens. The second thing we can do is to become curious. Become curious and pragmatic. Why do I say that? Because curiosity is a state. The great Tony Robbins talks about our states and how we can alter them. And one very large piece of advice that he gave, which I took to heart and I have applied for about 20 years, everything seems to be in 20. That seems to be a cutoff year for me. Uh, I've done, I've, I've followed that, that advice of getting curious about things rather than panicking or allowing myself to spiral down into negative thinking. Get curious and pragmatic, become practice, practice curiosity. How do we do it? Well, ask questions. Become curious about things. In, in a previous episode, I explained you to you about my uh, my little my little adventure in, in, in sautéing broccoli. 
I had gotten tired of, of steam cooking it and slapping butter on it, and I thought to myself, what can I do to make my broccoli dinner a little more interesting? And I thought, well, I know that I can saute green beans, I had checked, but and I'd done it, I, I think it's pretty good, but could I saute broccoli? <laughs> and I had checked online, you can. I added all the things they recommended, I threw in a couple of things on my own, and actually it turned out pretty good. I was curious. You know, something as simple, as silly as that, it can make a big difference if you do it frequently. Little things, get curious about things, ask questions, which leads me to point number three, ask better and better questions. Asking questions is a skill. Forcing yourself or having the state of mind or the discipline to ask yourself the right kinds of questions during moments of difficulty, during moments, uh, challenging moments where you need to find solutions, that, that takes some practice. You see, a lot of times, many of us, I'm talking especially about present company, uh, we fall into the trap of asking what I explained before are called, are, are called um, rhetorical questions. They are inaccurate. They are useless rhetorical questions. And what I mean by that is these are questions that are not really designed to get an answer. They're just designed to reinforce whatever negative ideas we, are, we already have about ourselves. So, you know, ask better and better questions. What can I do to fix this problem? How can I move forward with the next step? What is my next step? Which of my options can I, should I choose? You know, asking better and better questions is a great way of practicing curiosity. How do I get this done? What's my next step? Step number four, understand, appreciate, and employ self-talk, prayer, if you like. I pray. I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said, most people don't pray, they beg. And I think that's true. Uh, we, we seem to have limited ourselves when we pray to beg God for, for things, stuff, health, uh, take care of Aunt Marge, whatever. And, you know, that's really a disservice to ourselves. And it's really an inaccurate relationship with God. You see, when I talk about self-talk, I really mean you're talking to yourself. Now, God, of course, I believe in God. I, as a matter of fact, I know there is. I call it infinite intelligence. There is an intelligence, a consciousness, and it's all around us. It is impersonal. It is all around us and it is pure love. So, you know, I really don't need to ask it, him, her, they to come and help me. They're right here already. It's for me to get in touch. It's for me to open up to that and allow it into my life. So when I, when I understand and appreciate self-talk prayer, it helps me to develop a better relationship with myself a better relationship with infinite intelligence. And I have three actually prayers or self-talk messages that I, I repeat frequently. One is actually a prayer from when I was in my, during my Catholic school days growing up in New York. And the other two are things that I picked up along the way. And what they do is they help me focus. They help me remember very important fundamental things that I want to incorporate in my behavior on a regular basis and I repeat them 
when I wake up in the morning, when I'm outside going off to, to work, when I'm on my own, and I don't wait until I'm having a crappy day or something bad is happening. I say it as a matter as a matter of habit, regardless of what's happening. If I'm having a great day, I say it. If I'm having a bad day, I say it. It becomes a habit, and that helps me to stay on track when the inevitable bad times happen. Point number five, meditate regularly and improve your breathing technique. Well, yeah, meditation's really, really keen and cool. Uh, I'm not the best at it. I, I, I did it for a period of time, but I know a lot of people that do it, and I think it's a great way to help you focus, to help you relax, to calm down. You know, we all, we all do it in different ways. I do it through prayer. I'm going off to get my train, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm outside, and I'm praying, and, and really it calms me down incredibly, or, or it keeps me calm, or it reinforces my good feelings. Some people meditate. I think it's fantastic. And along with meditation, there's regular breathing. You know, the breathing taste, breathing. You know, that, that important intake and, and outtake of air or whatever. And I think that's really important. I, I know many people who've done it, and and they find it to be a real source of calm. And I think that's what we want. We want to find our own sources of calm and make them into habits so that when the inevitable hard times come, when something happens, we are less prone to panic. Do you see what I'm saying? And so if we do that, you know, uh, we're just basically reinforcing ourselves. A sixth point is establishing support systems. And I think it really is important. You know, you seek help from friends, family, professionals, and it is important. Uh, there are different kinds of um, panic we may have. Some might be of a much more serious nature. And if it's not simply a, a kind of garden variety panic, you know, you feel a bit stressed out about something, you, you start to freak out a little bit and whatnot, okay, but if it's not, if it's something chronic, if it's something much more serious, clinical, that you need to go see a professional. You need to see perhaps a doctor. Um, I, I know that there are a lot of people that, I've known people who suffer from um, clinical depression, anxiety, and they take medication for it. And I, I find that to be important. And, and why? Well, this is really important. And I think it's an important point when we talk about panic is that the pill that the person takes does not cure or solve their problem. What it does is it levels the playing field. It gets them back on track as a calmly functioning person so that then they can take control of their lives. It just puts them back to normal, quote unquote, okay? And when I say normal, I mean, I, I can think of many examples where, where we are just genetically born with you have some some certain limitations or defects uh, for about I think it was about 10 years ago I was having some very uh, rough problems with um, um, assimilating b12 I was uh, for some reason I was losing it at a very high at a very high rate and I was not absorbing it I was eating meat like normal I mean I was eating you know normal and all that and and so I went to the doctor because I was extremely weak and and, and feeling really really bad and they discovered that I had a real B12 deficiency. And in order to, in order to, to, to try and reverse it or to try and 
at the very least limit the problem, I start to get monthly B12 shots. Uh, and uh, it, th there you go. I mean, uh, I needed it. I was not, my body was not working it properly, was not able to, to, to um, process it properly or to absorb it, so I had to get it shot. I, it, it, I couldn't get it through the digestive system. And uh, that lasted for about uh, eight years. And finally, it, we were able to, to get it going. And I'm not sure how that happened, but I, 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 had, I had a problem there. Or I, I remember my mom when she had a problem with her thyroid. She had, some, she had a thyroid problem. She had to start taking um, um, medicine uh, for the rest of her life in order to offset that problem. Chemical imbalances. A lot of times, the problems we have, such as depression or anxiety or whatnot, it is part of a chemical imbalance. Something is not firing properly. And sometimes you need to go see a doctor. You take a pill, you take some medication, something that might help you. I'm not espousing that at all. This is not medical advice. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes for those people that a doctor prescribes something, what it does is it puts you in a position where you can retain, where you can regain control of your, of your activities, of your life. And those are things that make, that actually form part of your support system. You know, your the professionals, your friends, your family, and if you are surrounded by people who do support you, that's a plus. Now, the last point we have, point number seven, is cultivating optimism and what I call constructivism. You know, optimism for me is a funny word. And uh, when I think about that word, I, I, you have to ask yourself, when you think about optimism, you have to ask yourself, are you a driver or are you a passenger? If you're a driver, as regards optimism, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna seek a greater understanding of how things work and learn about and apply the laws and principles that govern our results because there are laws and principles that govern our results. There is a certain right thinking that will enable you to better achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve, understand how things work. And then you step out and you act on these principles. That's the driver when it comes to optimism. So if you're a driver, your relationship with optimism is a proactive one. Now, if, however, you've chosen to be a passenger, well, then cultivating optimism may mean just being hopeful and crossing your fingers and repeating lots of mantras and hoping that it works out for you. I hope it does, but I believe that it is our responsibility to be drivers in our lives, and I don't care what type of personality you think you have. If you're an alpha, a beta, an omega, a zeta, a theta, I don't care. You are the driver in your life. And so regarding optimism, I'm not talking about Pollyannism. I'm talking about constructivism, where you look for constructive ways, pragmatic ways to move forward, to solve your problems, to get things done. None of this stuff about, you know, I really hope it works, being hopeful. Now, I don't believe in being hopeful, but I do believe in getting out there and acting pragmatically and finding solutions. And the best way to do it, get curious. So, you know, we really ho I really hope that uh, when you're out there cultivating optimism, that you're doing it as a driver. And with this in mind, I leave you with uh, the famous Austrian psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, 
who was a victim of the Holocaust. He was imprisoned in a concentration camp for a couple of years, and he underwent enormous pain and humiliation and torture, the likes of which I, I could not imagine. And he said he survived the death camps, and he lived to, to write about it, he lived to teach about it. And he wrote a fantastic book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he said that no matter how much they hurt us, or beat us, or humiliated us, or no matter the damage they did to us, there's one thing that they could not take from us unless we let them. And that was our ability to think and to choose our thoughts. And that's what that's the ability we have. It is the final power that we have, and it led to what Viktor Frankl called the final freedom. Just as a little reminder, you know, this podcast is for informational purposes, and it should not be considered a substitute for professional advice, because it is a serious topic, panic. If you or someone you know is experiencing severe panic or mental health issues, we encourage you to seek support from a qualified mental health professional. So as we part ways, you know, I, I share my sincere wish with you. May panic never seize you for long. When panic tries to grip us, let's remember that we can choose calmness, understanding, expectation, and resilience. Until next time, take care, be kind to yourselves, and remember that you hold the key. Thank you.